So I guess um, if you were to ask people what's the first thing they think about when it comes to Easter, I think for most people it would probably be a couple of days off followed by Easter eggs. So let me ask you for a quick show of hands. Who's bought a chocolate Easter egg this year? Hands up. Okay, very good. Who's had some Easter egg this morning? (laughs) Who has let their child have Easter egg for breakfast this morning? (laughs) Yes, shame on you. (laughs) Looks like we need to run that parenting course urgently, doesn't it? And then the second thing that people think about would probably be the Easter bunny. This, ladies and gentlemen, is not the Easter bunny. This is what happens when so-called friends mess around with your Facebook picture. This hate crime was committed by a very good friend of mine, Professor Paul Matz which just goes to show that even a pillar of the British academic establishment can have evil lurking in his heart. (laughs) Now, obviously, this is very embarrassing for me because those are my old glasses. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Did you know that there is a website where you can send your own personal message to the Easter Bunny? So, show of hands on that one, please. Who has actually sent a personal message to the Easter Bunny? Yes, a lady at the back. Thank you for your honesty, madam. Uh, Obviously, I had in mind the children, but that's fine. Uh, Personally, I would say that prayer is more effective, but then you would expect me to say that, wouldn't you? But, you know, hopefully the third thing that people would think of when they think about Easter is the resurrection of Jesus. And surprising though it may seem, there is a connection between Easter eggs, the Easter bunny, and the resurrection. And that connection, of course, is new life. The egg symbolizes new life. Anyone who knows about bunny rabbits knows that they specialize in creating new life. And resurrection, of course, is also all about new life. Our word Easter comes from a Saxon word, estra, from which we get estrogens or estrogens, the female reproductive hormones, who says you never learn anything at Aylesbury Vineyard. But you know, when the early Christians chose a symbol for their faith, they didn't choose an egg or a bunny rabbit. They chose a cross which seems a bit odd if you think about it when a cross is all about death. But of course the cross isn't the end of what happened at Easter. It's on Good Friday that we remember Jesus' death, but on Easter Sunday we remember his resurrection. And that's because if it weren't for the resurrection, there would be no Christianity. Jesus would just be another in a long line of dead heroes. When the Apostle Paul wrote to one of the early churches in a place called Corinth, he said this, If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Now, there are many reasons why our preaching may be useless, of course. Uh, Just ask anyone who comes here regularly. But what the Bible is saying is no resurrection equals no Christianity. 
what we call the Gospels in the New Testament, which are the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life from people who knew him personally. And all of these accounts describe both the crucifixion and the resurrection. They all talk about people who met with Jesus after the resurrection. Not a vision of Jesus and, uh, or a ghost, but a real live physical person who walked with them and talked with them and who even had meals with them. And we're not just talking here about a handful of his very closest disciples who might have made it all up. We're talking about hundreds of people over a period of 40 days. As James Tweets spoke about last week so brilliantly, they met with a Jesus who had a resurrected eternal body that still bore the visible scars of what he did for us at the cross. Now, people sometimes ask me, how did they decide in the early church what should be in the Bible and what stuff should be left out? And the main criterion that they used was actually pretty simple. It was whether the person who wrote it had known Jesus personally, whether they were an eyewitness of what happened. Did they personally know Jesus after his resurrection? Now, you may say, well, maybe they all conspired. Maybe they all got together and decided to make it all up and all stick to the same story. And, yeah, that, that could happen, I suppose. But these disciples were so convinced that Jesus was who he said he was that every single one of them was willing to give their lives for it. Now, it's one thing to say that, of course, but it's something else to see it through. And ultimately, all but one of them was tortured and killed because they refused to deny what they knew, that Jesus had risen from the dead. That is quite a price to pay, isn't it, for a religion that you've invented with your mates just for a laugh. Now, you may say, well, why should we take the Bible's word for it? Well, one reason is because when they wrote what they wrote, they had no idea that it would end up in something called the Bible. But even if we ignore the Bible completely, there's at least 19 other authors from that same period who mention Jesus in their writings, including the Roman historian Tacitus and the Jewish historian Josephus. Within 150 years of that first Easter weekend, 42 authors mention Jesus. During that exact same period, only 10 mention Tiberius Caesar. There's more documentary evidence that Jesus existed than Alexander the Great. Everything we know about him comes from just five sources, none of whom were eyewitnesses. In fact, the main account of his life was written 400 years after. But no one doubts that either of them were real people. Professor Richard Burridge, who's the Dean of King's College London, where I did my PhD, so he must be right, mustn't he? He says, there are those who argue that Jesus is a figment of the church's imagination, that there never was a Jesus at all. But I have to say, I don't know any respectable critical scholar who says that anymore. So if we're willing to accept the evidence of the historians who have no vested interest, then we have to start with the fact that Jesus 
definitely existed. So the only question is, who was he? So you may say, well, this is, this is interesting, but what's it actually got to do with me? And what's it got to do with baptism? Well, of course, what it's got to do with me depends on why Jesus came in the first place. Much as I love great cathedrals like Notre Dame and what happened with the fire last week was a real tragedy, wasn't it? And Westminster Abbey and St. Paul's and places like that. Much as I love them, they are not the reason that Jesus came. The reason he came and he died and he rose again from the dead is simply because he utterly and completely and unconditionally loves every single one of us. Whatever we've done, whatever we haven't done, and whoever we are. And his heart for us, I think, is summed up in this verse where Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And he's talking here about a kind of life, a quality of life that the Bible calls eternal life, which includes what happens after we die, but it's not only about that. It's about the kind of life that we have before then as well. Jesus himself told us what eternal life is when he was praying to God the Father and he said this, eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the Son whom you have sent. So eternal life is knowing and experiencing God starting now. It's not just about going to heaven when we die. It's not about having a get-out-of-hell-free card in our back pocket just in case we might need it one day. Jesus came and died and rose again to ask us a question. Do you or don't you want to know and experience God through me? Because that is why I came, to make that possible. The cross was the ultimate way for God to demonstrate to you and me how very much he wanted to have that relationship. And the message of Easter is that you can. The question of Easter is do you want to? Because if you don't want to know God now and experience God now, well, we certainly won't want to be stuck with him in heaven for eternity, will we? I mean, that would be sheer hell for us, would it not? So God is not going to inflict that on us if we've shown no desire for that relationship in this life because he respects our wishes. But Christianity is not all about heaven. It's about, do I want to know Jesus in my life starting now? And then finally, last question, What's all this got to do with baptism? Well, the Bible says that if we want to say yes to this question that Jesus is asking us, then we need to do three things. And they're all in Acts 2.38 in the New Testament, so you can have a look at that later. Number one is repent, which sounds all religious, doesn't it? But all it simply means is change your mind about Jesus and where he fits in your life. Stop going one direction in life 
without God and start going the other with God. A Christian is someone who invites Jesus to be at the center of their life instead of me. Number two is be baptized, which is why we're doing what we're doing today. Jesus said it, so we do it. Because a Christian is someone who wants to do what Jesus says starting now. And then number three is be filled with the Holy Spirit. And actually, God does that one for us because it's a promise, not a command. And all that means is that God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, will personally come into our life, bringing the presence of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that we can know him and experience him in our lives. He fulfills Jesus' promise, his very last words in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So we do this slightly embarrassing thing called baptism to personally identify ourselves with Jesus in his death and resurrection. So going down into the water is like dying to my old life. And coming up again is like being born again into a new life. And the Bible puts it like this. When someone becomes a Christian, they become a brand new person inside. They're not the same anymore. A new life has begun. So the very last thing I want to say this morning is, if you're a a bit intrigued by all of this Jesus stuff, and you, you have a sense this morning that maybe you should be finding out a bit more, then there is a really easy way you can do that. Come to the cafe here uh, every Wednesday evening for the next few weeks because we're running something you may have heard of called Alpha. Uh, it's starting this coming Wednesday. Every week starts with a meal, so you don't even have to think about fitting dinner in. And every week during Alpha, there's a short video to watch and then you chat about it around your table. There's no sermon, hooray, or boo, whichever you prefer, and everyone just gets to say what they think. So no one tries to convert you or put you right or make you do anything embarrassing. And the whole thing is free. So what's not to like? There are some invitation cards around, quite a lot of them have gone, but there's a few on the information desk and at the wall display in the entranceway. They tell you how you can book your place or just ask at the information point in the cafe or contact the church office if you'd like to know how to do that. So that's Wednesday evenings starting this Wednesday. And if you came with a friend today, then I'm sure that they will agree to do Alpha with you. So you can ask them about that when we have another very short break to collect the children in just a moment.